Riverside. What's going on? Episode 15, Backside Ground Ball Pod. Trev, good evening. Good evening. It's a late one here. It is a late one. How you doing? A little tired, but doing well. Yeah, I'm tired too, but the, doing the pod is giving me juice right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> good for yeah, you. I get me fine. talking about some somebody's swing and, and maybe that'll get my juices flowing a little bit. We'll get there. We were, we're definitely going to get there. That's on the, the agenda for tonight. But I got a I, long day today, tired, long weekend, busy weekend. But knowing that we were going to be recording later kind of had me keep the foot on the pedal, to be honest. That's that's good because, I mean, I, we, I was rounding into probably the 730 uh, seven, middle of the seven o'clock hour, and I thought no way I was going to be awake by the time we were recording here. Well, here we, here we are. So that's that's big time. And uh, tomorrow I'm probably going to be miserable because I'm just going to burn it at both ends today, and tomorrow I'm going to struggle. But uh, potentially you and I might be uh, playing a little, attempting to play golf. Yeah, attempting. It's not playing. It's attempting. It's not playing. We played we played on yesterday, so we're recording this on Monday night. Trevor and I had a seven forty tea time. I have a lot to actually I have a lot about that. So first off, we had a seven forty tea time at Anderson Creek in Spring Lake, which is a Davis Love course. And we stunk. We stunk. Like we really stunk yesterday. And Take us stinking like if you had put us on any course, we would have stunk yesterday. <laughs> but the fact that that course is hard, like we didn't even talk about it because we were playing so bad. So like it, it would have, I, I don't think we wanted to sound like we we're making shoes, but that's it's a beautiful course, but it's hard. That course is no hard. joke. Yeah, like if if you have an easy approach to the green, the that on like a hole, the green will eat you alive. And if it's like yeah. a, a like a fair green, the approach like the fairway is going to be narrow. There's going to be about sixteen bunkers that feel like they're 150 they're, feet deep. Yeah, that's there's what I was going to say. A water trap they're, somewhere. It's like an island hole. Yeah, they're not bunkers. They're craters. Those things were like looked like m- meteorites struck the golf course and they filled them with sand. I needed a ladder to get down into it. The, on hole first off the on hole one like you like it's like oh this isn't bad like you you know you're looking at the gps on the cart it was like slight right pretty straightforward one of the wider fairways on the course hole one so it's like okay and then you get to the green and it's like on a mountain sloping on all sides off with a bunker that was 150 feet deep on the left side and it was just like oh okay I, now I know what we got ourselves into. Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up in that bunker and managed to get out of it pretty well. And I was like, ooh, all right. And then it was just <laughs> downhill from there. It's just, that's yeah, what happens. Hold, Don't hold move. two was like an adventure. It was a long par five, and it was just an adventure for both of us. 
the guys we were playing with almost got eaten by a dog. That's that, true. It was just, and so a couple things. One, I owe an apology to the two awesome guys we were playing with yesterday, Cornelius and Jacob. We didn't know them. We got paired up with them. Two of the coolest dudes I've ever played golf with. They were so much fun. They were great. Um, I owe them an apology for two things. First off, I'm sorry for the way I played. <laughs> truly, truly sorry for the way I played. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I know, you know, they weren't the best golfers in the world, but you would have thought they were on tour in comparison to, to how I played. So I would like to apologize because I probably slowed them down. And the second thing I owe them an apology for is they're Dolphins fans. And, you know, they were talking about how they tee off early on Sunday so they can get home to watch their fins play. And I told them, well, they didn't have to worry yesterday because the Dolphins were playing the Bills and the Dolphins won. And if they're out there and if anybody knows these two guys, they're, you know, they live in the the greater Raleigh-Durham area and they're huge Dolphins fans. They go by the names of Cornelius and Jacob. If you know them, please apologize for me. I don't think I'll ever be able to track them down. And I felt yesterday as the Dolphins were getting ready to beat the Bills, like it's all this thing. But I was like, man, I, I owe those guys an apology. Yeah, I mean you're you're a man of your word and, and that's all that matters. In spirit they know how you how you feel, but they'll probably never hear the apology from you. No, because I for I'm too embarrassed to ever have to face those two again. That's like you point. know they went home. Like like he you know, Cornelius got back to Durham yesterday. He had an hour drive from the golf course and he probably got back with like fifteen minutes to spare before kick. And his wife's probably like, wow, you're cutting it close. How was golf today? And he was probably like, I would have been home 30 minutes ago, but the, the kids I was playing with were embarrassing. <laughs> they were two of the worst golfers. They slowed me down. I may never golf at that course again just because I might get paired up with those two. Yeah. No, it's tough when you when you just stop playing for months on end. Oh. And then you, you just lose every sense of any skill you might have, any small amount of skill you might have ever obtained is gone the second. You know it's bad when you pick up the club and you're like, My, this grip feels weird. Uh, I just felt so foreign yesterday. And that's and you're so right. What's frustrating is I don't know why we, we kept saying to each other yesterday. It was like, why do we play this sport? Like, what are we doing? That was the most Let's down on golf. Yeah, that was the most down on golf I've been in a while. Like playing that, like 18's an absolute dog. Like 18 takes forever. Like you don't realize how much you could be accomplishing in four hours till you really like try to play golf <laughs> with things to get done. And you're like, like it's not just your off day from work. Like you're just like, dude, what? Why am I doing this? Like. I, and I spent more money than I, I have right now to, to play this. Like it's, it, it, yeah. Like yesterday was the most down on golf I've been in, in multiple years. Well, it's just miss. It's such a miserable sport. Cause you have to play all the time. And like you said, when you you're committing to like your whole day or at least half your day yeah. being eaten up by playing 18 and it's great. And when you're having fun, there's no better way to spend a nice day out on a golf course. And when you're playing well, it's fine. And you know me. The listeners don't know. Like, I haven't played golf for very long. And I'm probably one of the worst golfers in the world, typically. Like, just off the bat, I'm one of the worst golfers in the world. And that's fine. But I've really worked at it and been committed this summer. And I'd gotten a lot better. And I was playing probably 
weekly and if not weekly, bi-weekly all summer. And I'd gotten to a point where I was hitting the ball pretty, pretty dang well to the point where the last time I played before I moved to Carolina, best round of my life. Like I was like, Oh man, like I can, we hadn't played in, with each other in probably two months at that point. And so I was like, Oh, I can't wait to get down and play with Trev. Like he's going to be like, Whoa. Well then it, w- it had been like three weeks before I picked up the clubs again. And it's like, I have forgotten this entire, like those three weeks I didn't play at the, had forgotten the entire summer's worth of work. Cause even when I was playing bi-weekly, I'd sneak out to the range like once or twice a week after work before I went home. And I mean, nothing feels more foreign right now than picking up a golf club. And boy, is that, let me tell you how frustrating that is. Cause I used to never get upset on a golf course cause I stunk. And I understood that I was like just learning how to play. And I was like, well, I'm going to play for the rest of my life. So why get mad? That was always my theory. And, and I am so fed up right now. So fed up with the sport. You got sucked in. It's the worst thing in the world. When you start to have expectations in this, in that stupid game, this stupid game, like I'm, I'm still down on it. I'm Me still too. frustrated. I'm still like, what, what it, did I just do? And I don't know if you feel this way, but the sickest part to me is I'm so down on it and I'm so frustrated and annoyed, but I still fully expect to go play tomorrow night. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that because I'm, maybe it's cause I'm tired and, and I've had a long, long day today, but I, the idea of playing tomorrow, the idea of picking up a golf club, I'll go play pickleball with you tomorrow, but the idea of playing golf tomorrow does not register in my brain. But I know, like, um, of course, we'll on the be last playing one, nine tomorrow. Play, yeah, you put. Well, oh. it's just it sucks because you play so bad and so bad. But like, you know, I had a couple good drives, hit a couple bombs. You know, I got a couple compliments too from Cornelius. He was like, "I wish I, we both I did. wish I the swing last three." Hole, the last yeah. three holes, me and you acted like we like we were just yeah, hustling we played before all day. Yeah, yeah we exactly. Like we hustled the first fifteen holes, and then yeah. 16, 17, 18, Here we come. And then I sit there and on 18, my approach shot, I'm coming in for two. <laughs> I hit a seven iron and I'm like, I, oh no, I take a practice swing and I go, oh, that's the best swing I took all day. And then I hit the seven iron and it was the best iron strike, ball strike I had all day. And it hits a tree and just kicks down because the tree was I mean, the flag was, was behind the tree, right? Like it was going behind for, like, the I, tree. I'm not the not to mention yeah, like, that green. There was the flag. It was behind a tree, but before you even got to that point, there was a moat of bunkers all around yeah. it. That hole was ridiculous. Also, you knew we were having. A, I knew we were having a bad day yesterday. When I've never seen anything like this on the golf course. <laughs> I'm sorry, but. We're, you're in the you stroke a drive, so it's like finally, like one of us is in the middle of the fairway. This is this is good. You get up to your second shot. You go to swing and take your second shot, <laughs> and I'm watching you. <laughs> you completely look to in your backswing. You look to your right at Jacob for what reason i don't know and then just completely chunk it and you look at me and you're like did you see it i was like you mean you looking to the right in your backswing i was just it was just a, and i and still by 10 30 tomorrow morning i'll have you convinced to at least play nine with me tomorrow night well r3 nice play it, yeah in defense in my defense 
in my backswing, you, you want to talk about like we we talk about positive self talk in 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 the the athletics world. <laughs> in my backswing, the image in my head was Jacob hopping in the car, driving across, <laughs> and me just scolding him. As I'm swinging. And instead of being like, you know what? Shut it down. Reset. Get back to green. I was just like, <laughs> screw it. I'm hitting the ball. Like, yeah. What are the, like, and then I'm having that conversation. It's like, well, what are the odds you actually hit him? Well, I don't know. Well, maybe if he's not, well, let's check if he's getting in his car while you're swinging. And I'm, I'm like, oh, he's not getting in his car. Okay. Now look he's back down at the you. ball as, <laughs> and it's like, oh, well that didn't go well. Yeah. And I, right after I was like, like, it was like, why did I? What Dan? Did you see? Yeah, you mean looking at Jacob while you're swinging? I was like, yeah. Well, why would I do that? Just like I have no idea. Oh, just brutal. Just one of those days. The guys on the compound would be so disappointed in us right now. Yeah, because they stroke and they make fun of Dakota for shooting 92 at really good courses. Yeah, like, like, like oh, I played like crap. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Those church pew bunkers will really get you. Those tournament, those tournament, the you know, championship level greens. Like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Me and you, we we go and hack up a course. I'm pretty sure there's wanted posters up at Anderson Creek of us. And never, never let these uh, two book tea times here. Well, we're gonna have to assume, yeah. like, aliases to go play there again. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, we're gonna have to like. Like I'm gonna have to have like a weird facial hair going, <laughs> cut off one of my eyebrows. They'll be like, "All right, that's not that guy on the wanted poster." Get the fake glasses with the nose and mustache, yeah. like Bobby Valentine. Yeah, it's oh, a good idea. Gosh, good night. That is just—it's such a frustrating sport, man. The ball sits right there and just begs to be yeah, hit. Yeah, it doesn't move. It doesn't move. Why? Why is it so hard to hit? It's incredible. And then, like, what's even more annoying is, you know, the the you'll go on social media and, like, because I've really been getting into golf and got bit by the butt, like, so much golf stuff on my page. And you just see people just smoking balls. And it's like, oh, it looks so easy. And I swear, like, I'll I'll get club in hand or, like, I'll just, like, you know, I'll be messing around or whatever at the house and I'll have a club. And it's just like, oh, I feel good. And then as soon as I step up to a ball on a course, it's like, how does this work again? Yeah, the, the hardest part is when you have seen yourself play good. Mm. And so, like, you see somebody, like, on your Twitter or whatever hit a good shot and you're like – I could do that. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. Like those days mm-hmm. where you just roll out and like everything you're hitting is flush. Like doesn't there's no worrying about your grip. There's no worrying about where the ball is in your stance. There's no worrying about any of the stuff that I could overthink my way into just spinning myself into the ground in golf. No overthinking. It's just like flush, 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 <laughs> off tee box, flush. It's like you have those days. And of course, that's usually when I can't chip or pot Pot, to save my life. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, exactly. So like my scores all come out to be the same in the end. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) But it's like, man, if I I just played more and got my putting down. And then like yesterday, like I 
they couldn't hit a ball to save my life. It felt like, but of course I'm like nailing pots with one both hand of us because I don't on even the green. care. Right. Yeah. The it's green. just like, we were a lights out on the green. Ch- yeah. Chipping just money, just dropping it in. And then it's like putt one putt. It's like oh, a nice seven. It's like, yeah, you, you just chipped up and it one putted for a seven. Like nice job. Like, right. And it's I just like chipped brutal. in at one point and it was like, how, what, how, how did I almost just chip in? I rolled that thing within like an inch of the cup. You didn't, you didn't see this, but I, at one point you were chipping up and my ball was sitting there and I walked and no look putted and missed it by an inch. And Cornelius was like, I saw that. That was all. He was like, I can't, because he was having trouble putting all day, too. Yeah, he was, like, he, was, he, 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 was he like, was losing his ass. He was like, what, how did you do that? And I'm like, <laughs> dude, like, I don't know. Like, I I have, did you see the 16 said, shots he, I hit to get here? Right. Well, that's, that's at one point, he was like, man, what time are you guys giving out lessons on putting? I'll be there. And it was like, when are you giving us lessons on every other shot on the course? Because he was right down the middle of the fairway off the tee box all day long and didn't pull out the driver but twice. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's because he did his three woods of a fairway finder for him. Oh, my God. Sometimes you just got to know your game. They were, Sometimes I you mean, just got to know your game. That's the thing. Like, yeah, but when your that's game isn't consistent, that, that like, I like I don't. Exactly. What are you supposed to do? I don't know what my, yeah. my game I, I don't know what my game is. I'd love to but that hey, tomorrow at night's play we'll start to figure it out. We're just building building the foundation. Rome wasn't built in a day. And we get no, an extra two I told months you, I got, of golf down here. Right. And I got the I got the I got a of course I accepted an invitation to a, a golf outing for one of the local high schools in the area at the end of October. And so it's like, huh, I got a month. I have one month from where we're sitting today. So I got to figure it out. Cause I'm not going out there and killing someone. <laughs> <laughs> All I got to say is just my biggest request for golf is if it was, I just wish it was cheaper. It's, yes. I just wish it was oh, cheaper. That's well, it. You know, like I get fired course. up about a, a round for nine holes being $20 had a good yeah, course, which is what makes I'm like, Hills. So incredible. It's just And that's like, just that's we, our lane right now. That's this. where we need to stay. We just need to stay at night's playing Keith Hills and we'll be good to go. Keith Hills isn't easy. <laughs> like, no, it's it not a, easy, but my point is, is, is at least one. when you go out there, it's twenty it's, it's twenty bucks. So it's <laughs> like, okay. I'm good with this. Yeah. I'm, okay. Exactly. I'll hack up your division one course. Go camels. Yes. Roll camels. And, yeah. Love, love and, and I'll happily do it. It's twenty bucks. There's no skin off my back. When I'm going to play Davis Love the Third's course at Anderson Creek for a pretty penny and can't hit a shot. It's frustrating. Yeah, that that might have been my my fault on picking the course though. That, that, no, it's that fine. one's on me. Would I have rather been at Keith Hills yesterday morning? Probably. They didn't have any open tea time. So no, they never do on the weekends. No, but, not when your membership is $1,300 for a year unlimited play. Yeah, we the issue is is I'm not there yet still. I can't yeah, we don't that have that money. money. Well, not only do I not have it, but I, I just 
I might retire after this event, this golf event at the end of October. Nah, you, you go if you have the if you have the money to do it, go do it because the sunk cost fallacy is a powerful thing, man. You'd be you'd be oh, at the course every week. That'd be, every that'd be forcing you to get it's it's a bargain. You'd I I'd feel I'd like I'm a bargain so fast. Like, yeah, because yeah. I'd just be playing. I'd be I'd spend so well. The issue is is I would be heading down to Lillington so much that Bowie's yeah, hurt, I guess. I'd, well, now I'd, you're ten minutes quicker. It's true. Yeah, I want. Uh, we don't need to talk about that on the pod. But the thought of I just moved a month ago hasn't been a month, and literally a month after we moved, we're moving again. It's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. I know it's not a full move because yeah. we've been staying with family, obviously. But still, the thought of like having to pack everything up and like do that whole thing again really just not looking forward to that. I don't. I don't wish moving on my worst enemy. No, not one no. bit. And like, no. and I, I got a complaint with U-Haul. The fact oh, that we're still please. rolling out trucks. Hold on, hold on. Unless from they want nineteen eighty two with rolly windows and no aux cord or no oh. freaking touchscreen oh. radio, nothing. No, no backup GPS. camera. They're as they hope you back up into something. Oh, they 100%. know they, they want they are to. like, ha yeah. They freaking ran into something. You come back with a dent in that in that truck. Oh, they're salivating over that thing. Oh, you didn't get the five billion dollar protection? No, I was driving twenty miles. Why would I get the protection? No, well, my dad's a cheapo. He's not getting the U-Haul protection. <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, That's freaking unbelievable. And how about a drop-off fee of an extra eleven hundred bucks to not return it to the same place you got it from? Kind <sighs> of skip. What do you mean? I'm moving six hours away. See, I got How a good deal on the that out? But have you ever? Oh, if you don't come back with a half a gallon of gas, oh, exactly. or half a tank of right. gas, it's, it's seven fifty that... a gallon <laughs> to fill it up. Unbelievable! When are we opening up a U-Haul spot, me and you? Dude, it'll pay for our our club. Our club dues will be paid on two trips. We get two people to rent uh, trucks from pr- our location, and we're paid yeah. off. I got a pretty good backyard. We could park a couple U-Hauls back there. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Insane, man. The guy that we dropped our U-Haul off when we moved everything down here was oh, he was awesome. He walked up and like my dad was like, "We're dropping off U-Haul." He goes, "Take the keys." Handed the guy the keys. He didn't check anything. He just. Whoop. Parked it, got out of the car. He just said because everything he's was living good to on go. cloud nine. He's running a scam. He's conned so many suckers who have moved to North Carolina out of uh, so much of their hard-earned money. Dude, it was, well, the it thing, was in the yeah. The thing about moving is it just shows you so much about yourself that you just when you get when you're settled into a place and you're in your your like daily routine, like you're comfortable, and so you you know. It's just all you know. And then when you move, it tells you so much about yourself. Yeah. One, how much like junk you have that you probably don't need. Two, like your organizational skills, your like lack or lack thereof and, and you know logistics and it's just a night it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Like you moving is just Oh well, I'll be doing it again this weekend, so Yeah, but it's gonna be better than what you did. Uh, and 
quite frankly sure. what we both did. I had to move from New York to Delaware and then put all that stuff in Delaware in a U-Haul and move everything from Delaware to North Carolina and Philadelphia oh, while moving out of Philadelphia to Delaware. <laughs> one bad 24 hours. That's that's what I did. One bad 24 hours, which is one of the best uh, mantras I've ever heard. All right. Before we start talking about baseball, I got a couple. Sorry, I got a couple. Oh, I have a. Sorry, I have a lot more. This is gonna. This is gonna take a while. Um, before we get off of golf, golf went so bad yesterday. I just want to tell our listeners this story too. Um, I'm really just highlighting all your all the downsides of your day yesterday, and I apologize. But golf went so bad yesterday. Trevor was so frustrated and hangry. We were talking baseball as we were getting ready to leave the course yesterday, and the guy who sat. On this very podcast, it might have been before we were recording uh, an episode one night earlier in the summer, told me that how much do you want to bet that Juan Soto finishes top five in MVP voting was something that you we we got into a little bit of an argument about before First I think off, it was before we recorded. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, at, I'll give you. We your were on, no, 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 no. First off, I admitted that on the solo pod. You can oh, go back and check me. Yes, you I did. You did. You did. But hold on. And told but all hold on. Of our I know, but I know that's not the thing. My only point is this: I, I'm not worried about you making that wild prediction. All I'm worried about is the fact that you were so frustrated with your golf game yesterday, and tired and hungry, probably, that you said Juan Soto stinks. I said he sucks. Juan Soto stinks. Yeah. Well, and you followed it up with a he stinks. He stinks. Because I gave you a look like, did you just say Juan Soto sucked this year? And you goes, he stinks. He stinks. That's what you said. Okay. That's when you know. No, because I know that wasn't your true feelings. No, my only point here is that's how bad of a day we had on the course for you to sit there and say that Juan Soto stinks. Because I know you don't mean it. It was it was in the context of me being frustrated about losing in both fantasy baseball leagues. And when you're relying on Juan Soto to be Juan Soto and he hits 235 with 25 homers and 59 RBIs in a league where that stuff matters, the walks, I don't care. In a baseball sense, yes, 100%. But in terms of a fantasy outlook of this past year, Juan Soto stunk for my team. Sure. And so I was frustrated <laughs> at that point. That's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I'm just saying, my only point was that is that's how bad golf went yesterday. Um, let's, I just want to recap the football weekend real quick. Um, Georgia and Penn State remain undefeated. They both played, like, terrible in, in guarantee games, which, uh, whatever. A win's a win. You keep stacking them any way you can in college football. Um what I want to talk about is I went to my first North Carolina State game on Saturday. Uh, we decided to get tickets, the wife and I, um, which she agreed to it. I was super excited, obviously, because not a big football fan. And if I can air her out real quick on this podcast, Saturday night she learned what a first down was. For the first time I taught her what a first down was, which is a, pos- a step in the right direction. Um, but she agreed to go, and so I was excited. And we got you know great tickets for cheap because they were playing UConn. So – we knew it was going to be a bloodbath. Uh, great environment at Carter Finley. Big one against Clemson this week. Um, you know, I believe they're on the road. They have to go to Clemson. Um, but man, what an environment! 
even though it was UConn, you can tell they're fired up about it. It was family weekend, which, boy, I got to tell you, the sights you see on family weekend oh, yeah. at a college football Saturday is just hysterical. Because when you're walking by, you know, we're walking by the the you know Greek life tailgate lot, you know, they all have their parents out there. The parents are getting just as wild as the kids. And then, you, you know, we walked by the townhomes and you just see like all the, you know, 40 and 50 year olds with their with their 20 something year olds just getting enjoying having a good time. It was hysterical. So and then in the stadium, it was so funny, but great environment. Really easy to navigate around there. Um, you know, you we've both been to you. Obviously, we're a season ticket holder, but I went up to the whiteout last year. and Such a different vibe than when you're trying to squeeze 110,000 into a place. <laughs> opposed to, I don't even know what Carter Finley seats. But, like, it was like, oh, man, this is so much easier to navigate. You know, because when you, like, going to the whiteout last year, it was like, I've never been in a place with that many people at one time before. That was insane. It's it was a, such a cool, yeah. And I mean, Athens will probably, it looks like, is going to be insane for when we go to Athens. Yeah. Uh, me, you, and Chase in November, because we're going to go see Georgia and Tennessee. And right now, Georgia obviously is number one in the country, and Tennessee is, could potentially be seven and one rolling into that weekend, um, which will make that, you know, 96,000 loud and, and squeezed into Sanford Stadium. So, but like, going to Carter Finley and like, it's like that on just a little bit of a smaller scale. And you know, it's right on top of the field there, which makes it absolutely sick. Um, because, you know, instead of feeling far, far away and having a ton of room on the sidelines, like it's almost, you're right up on it. The players have no room on the sidelines. So it was, it was great and really good vantage points. It felt like from all angles of that stadium, what a great time. Yeah, we're college football is the best. The best. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Um, nothing better. I I texted you this this morning, just fired up about all sorts of hypotheticals oh. about Brian Harson saving his job because somebody from Missouri fumbled Reached out the, the ball back out. of the end zone. Oh, and then they kneeled in the end of regulation to kick the field goal because they thought it was a, a gimme oh, and the guy shot. misses it. Oh, and it's like Brian Harson survives another week. That guy's got 19 lives. Uh, but yeah, I mean, college football is just the best. I'm, I'm actually in the process of buying tickets for the whiteout. Going to be pretty, pretty fun. My dad's going to come and nice. my brother and, and my friend as well. So we're getting four that's tickets. That's going to be so. a huge game, by the way. It's, it's, I don't yeah, think Minnesota is going to have a loss. And I don't think no, Penn State will uh, either. Uh, Penn State have Penn Michigan State, before then. Yeah, before. Okay. So not not necessarily going to be undefeated, but but still. it's going to be a huge one. I, and that's why I want to buy the tickets now. I found um, about three hundred a pop. Which for anybody that's wondering for whiteout tickets, it's it's pretty cheap, pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, on the thirty-five yard line, about forty-five rows up of the second section. So not 45 off the field, about 45 rows. It's about 40 rows closer than where my season tickets were for Dan's perspective, but right. on the 35 yard line. So Those for about great. 300 a pop with fees, yep. that's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm actually in the process of buying those. Is there a week between the whiteout and when we go to Athens? Yes, I believe so. Okay. So potentially what you and I have lined up, 
as baseball season wraps up, if anyone wants to know what me and you are going to spend our time doing, you're going to go to the whiteout game. And then two weeks later, we're going to go to Athens. And then I think you're in, but the next weekend, we're going to go to NC State Boston College. So, I mean, that's we're how you live it we're up. We're basically Josh Pate. Yeah, basically, just without the super successful podcast and a company paying for these trips. Yeah, that's right. That's the that is a key. These things are expensive. There's the only difference, and a little bit of a better like wardrobe. Dude, I got a Bucky shirt on right now. Yeah, it's an incredible shirt. Wait, you want to see the back? It's about time you brought out the here for everyone. This is good podcasting. The back of the shirt is the Bucky's mascot in the top left, and it says Bucky's with a. Uh, Little old truck on it, established 1982. That truck is definitely from before 82, but we'll, the marketing team didn't think that over. Because that's a great shirt. That's that a good a recall good for those who listen to every episode. Um, yeah, shout out. And those who listen to every episode because they like what we say about baseball at 32 minutes have tuned out um, on this episode and shut it I've off. Already, I've already come up with the name of this episode for anybody that's wondering. We didn't have. We didn't know what to talk yeah. about. Everything but baseball. <laughs> um, we could do a little baseball. Do you want to do some baseball? Yeah, we'll do baseball. I guess <laughs> we could continue to talk about our hopeless golf game in college football, but that's not what the people come to listen to. Um, real quick, I just wanted to get your perspective on this um, a little bit. Um, it's the last week of the season as we roll in. Uh, for those who are under a rock, the Major League Baseball regular season ends next Wednesday, October 5th. And so we have just the playoff push right here, right? Essentially, this week almost, I don't want to sound cliche here, but the postseason kind of starts this week. You know, for a lot of teams, it's kind of been going. For some teams, it's wrapped up and it's not the case. But for a lot of teams, you know, you're, we're seeing a lot of tarped clubhouses and champagne bottles. The the Cleveland Guardians, out of nowhere, what no one saw coming, a team that is 19 games over 500, have clinched the AL Central. Um, what a story. Pretty cool, because they were kind of in between. Are they going to trade Jose Ramirez? Are they not? They signed him to a deal. We've talked about them kind of just after the trade deadline. We talked about them on the pod and how they've exceeded expectations, what they've done to build it. They're going to they're going dancing. They're back in the playoffs. They win the central, which is I, I mean I I kind of love that story, and that's a team I can definitely get behind. I love their vibe, and I don't really like any other teams in the central. It's hard for me to root for a team that is managed by Tony Larusa. That's for sure. Um, the Astros obviously have their division wrapped up. The Yankees can clinch tonight with a win. They're currently in the eighth inning, tied two two with the Jays. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, that might happen while we're recording, actually. They might win the, the AL East. Should we start everything over? Get yeah, sure. Down. Start from... Oh, I thought you were going to give me a... I thought you were, I thought you were giving me the go ahead. I'll give myself the go ahead. Right, now we're just staring. This has been a train wreck. I might uh can I mention what just happened? All right, I'm not so look, cut listen, out the dead silence. Everyone's gonna hear dead silence on this podcast. We're gonna edit it to where it's just gonna be a bunch of dead silence. So here's what happened. 
we decided to finally talk about baseball in this episode because this is supposed to be a baseball podcast. I was about five minutes into a lead-in for something I thought was going to be a pretty good conversation. And the internet cut out. So we go we go back in and talking about how we're just going to have to pick it up from, from there. And I said, all right. And I asked Trevor to give me a clap and a point. He thought my clap and a point was me starting again. So then in this train wreck of what's been this episode, uh, there was about – no, you just heard it. I don't know. Thirty seconds of me and Trevor staring at each other. This is going seemingly. Anyway, it's the last week of the regular season in Major League Baseball. People, playoff push is happening. We obviously have teams who have clinched it up and locked things in. The Yankees are postseason bound. They have a chance to clinch the East tonight. They're two two in the eighth inning with the Jays, so that might happen. Um, while we're recording, and the way this podcast is going, we'll be recording till one a.m. Anyway. The Guardians, great story. They locked up the AL Central yesterday. Astros have had things wrapped up for a good while now. Um, they're just playing for home field. The Mets and the Braves are probably the, the best one, and we've been talking about them all summer, about how that division was going to come down to the wire, and here we are. Um, the Braves entered tonight a game and a half back of the Mets. They beat the Nationals 8 nothing tonight, so they're now only a game back. The Mets were idle. Um, so that is the last nine or so games in that division is going to be tight and it's going to be fun, fun to follow. Um, Cardinals magic numbers three to win the central Dodgers obviously have clinched everything already. They've won 106 games. It's stupid. It's not even funny. They're kind of boring at this point. And then obviously you have the wild card battles in each league. So my lead in for you, Trevor is, is, you know, 10 games, nine, 10 games remaining for most of these teams. Um, some after tonight will have only eight left. You look at it and, and you play a hundred, this 162-game marathon, and then you get down to this point in the season, and for some teams, it's make or break, right? If you look at the Phillies, they're trying to hold off the Brewers. The Brewers are trying to get in. The Mets and Braves are racing for a division title. What's the mindset like? Because you, you know when you go through a 162-game slate of just day in and day out showing up to the park and the same thing, right? That's why they call it the dog days of August where you kind of get into that valley of, of being worn down and injuries and it's hot and you're tired. How do you then turn it on and, and, and kind of finish out this 10 game stretch? Cause a lot of times we see it, right? We'll see teams get super hot. If you remember the Cardinals last year, they won 17 in a row to vault themselves into the playoffs, but you also see teams collapse right every year. And you kind of look at the Mets who, no one's really been talking about it here because the Braves have been so good, yes, and it's not necessarily the Mets have been bad, but you're talking about the Mets now clinging to a division lead when they had an 11-game lead, right? So now they've lost 10 games in the standing. What mentally kind of, I guess my thing is it's fun to think about, like mentally what those guys have to go through now to kind of put the pedal to the metal and just get through to the finish line. I think what makes baseball so unique is the fact that you know, you look at somebody, a team like the Mets, right? And a lot of off-season hype, a lot of expectations, a lot of changes, and you just blow it out early, right? You come out the gates hot, you play really good baseball and everything like that, and it just proves how hard it is to sustain that type of consistency through a 162-game season. It's the same reason why World Series hangovers like the Braves, you're just like, hey, like, 
they're still talented. Like they're going to catch up at some point, you know, even if it's in October, it doesn't even have to necessarily be in the regular season. It, it could be in October, but you know, I think it just comes down to experience and, and, and in both sides, like I think, the wealth of experience when you have teams like the Dodgers teams, like the Cardinals, where it's like, Oh, we've been here before. Let's just start to, you know, we kind of understand our bodies. We know what we need at this point in the year. We know how we have success this late in the year. Or you have like the Indians who are the youngest team in the MLB, just playing with house money. Right. We had no expectations. We traded Francisco Lindor because everybody thought we were going to go through a rebuild and boom, next thing you know, we're an 86 win team clinching the division with a week left and the White Sox put all this money, all put, made all these trades to make this great team and we're leaving them in the dust like it's nothing. And kind of you saw the Orioles have that stretch where it was kind of like, again, I mean, I think if they were in the central division, I think I'm pretty sure they'd be, you know, pretty, pretty close close to almost competing for a division back a couple of weeks ago. Obviously the Indians have got on a really good role here to kind of build their lead. But, you know, I think it's just, it's hard. I mean, it is hard to turn it on and turn it off. It's why teams that clinch early don't like it sometimes because you have that layoff mentally where you don't have, you aren't on your P's and Q's and, and everything like that. It's just, you just got to have, to know what you need, what your team needs, what the clubhouse needs to keep the juices flowing and the competitive juices going. Well, and I think it's it's fun to think about too because you can take both sides of that, right? And you can think yeah. of examples of both sides of when teams clinch super early, it can come back to bite them. Because in baseball, you know, it's not basketball and it's not football where, you know, when you rest guys – that's huge for them, right? In football, when guys can get a rest and you lock things up early, there, there isn't really a rust factor because you're calling plays, you're running plays, and, and the physicality gives them such an advantage. But, like, you can't flip a switch when it comes to, to baseball, especially on the offensive side of things, right? Like, your offense can cool down. If guys aren't seeing pitches, you know, seeing pitchers live every day and then, you know, they're not playing as much as they're used to because you're trying to get them some rest because it's been a 162-game season. Now you're asking them to just turn it on in the postseason when the stakes are at the highest, right? That's one argument for it. But I think the other side of that argument um, is almost like what you said about the Mets. It's, it's blowing it out at the end of the year, right? If, you, if you've if you kind of lingered here and you haven't wrapped things up and now you the, these 10 games are everything for your season, um for playoff positioning and you're making the push for the division or even to, to gain a postseason berth, right? Like then you get to the playoffs and you're exhausted, right? You kind of, you blew it out just to get in, just to get there, yeah. right? It, it took everything you had just to get into the dance. And now you got to get there. Now you're facing a team who's had a little rest and they've had things locked up and they known they were going to be a postseason team, right? And now you're, you're having to go on the road and face that. And I think this year with the way the playoffs are set up where you, there's no break, there's no break. Season yeah. ends and you know you're right into the wild card series and you're playing three consecutive days in a wild card series. So now, if I have to use one of my top two pitchers in that last series, or even if I have to use two of my top two of them, my one and two in that last series, just to get in, and now you're asking me to go on the road in a wild card series per se, or you know, even if I won the division now, but now I'm having to start my three and four in games one and two, my three, four, five, and they're not available to pitch in that series when. Now you're probably out. So now it's even more important to lock things up early so that you can, you know, maneuver starts around so that you can throw those guys. Because if you're playing, if you don't have a bye, if you're not one of the two teams with a bye, you know, you you can't 
expect to win if you're having to go out there and throw your three, four, five in that best of three series. No, and I, I also think that that nowadays with how much information we have and and how much you know we kind of can use the technology like there's you always want the layoff in my opinion whether it's a week whether it's multiple days you want the rest you want the layoff you want to line things up the way you want you know because at the end of the day like if i'm a smart organization and i'm like the dodgers and we got three or four days well i'm rolling out my starting nine against our top minor league pitchers. Like I'm, Hey boys, you're coming to LA. You're going to sit in the dugout. We're going to get you box seats, whatever. And you're going to finish off your season and throw live to Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Joey Gallo, Max Monty, the list goes on. And that's what I would do. Now, whether these organizations do that, how that works, even if it's just something like cranking the pitching machine up, making sure you're seeing velo, making sure you're seeing spin, all the things like that. So, you know, definitely there is a benefit to to locking things up early because you can practice those types of things and get guys. It's not even about competing, right, at that point. These guys have the competitive juices. The playoffs will take care of that. The crowds will take care of that. But just getting guys to be able to see spin, like to be honest with you, if I was if I was in that situation i'd be like dude i don't even care if you swing like mookie just go up there and track pitches like this kid's gonna throw a pen he's and you don't have to swing if you want to swing sure swing if not he's gonna try to get you out but we just need you swinging pitches so that your brain and your eyes don't lose their timing it's not and it's not all about you know just getting in a rhythm staying in your routine and things like that you're able to kind of consistently still see pitches and stay on time but mentally and obviously, you know, we're talking about guys who are the best in the world at it and get paid to be the most competitive athletes in the sport in the world. But my question is, is even so, right, that's a good – that's obviously makes sense and that's something that you should do. And, and that's stuff we've even tried to do at the college level, right? There's We've all been in situations where, you know, especially when the pandemic happened, right? I remember – you know that we had layoffs and it was like trying to keep guys sharp and and you had cancels and i remember in 2021 we right we got eliminated from the conference tournament we were in at large for regionals and we had like two weeks until regionals and you're trying to keep guys sharp and it's like it's hard mentally even if you're getting those reps and you're simulating those those live at bats and inner squatting or whatever you're doing and cranking the machine up for those guys not to mentally relax right because the next time you step in the box next time Mookie Betts gets in the box if you give him a bunch of days off and now what's even more interesting is those guys have a buy so if you're looking at teams like the Astros and the Dodgers it's like okay what's what's the risk reward here right I can't run these guys out there and and be able to answer to my bosses if I if I'm writing those guys in the lineups every day and all of a sudden a hamstring goes or an oblique but at the same time, well, we have a buy. So I know we have things locked up, but am I supposed to rest guys? And then we have a buy and we're not playing for those three days as well. So now you're talking about potentially a week, 10 days between really competitive at bats where things are on the line. And now when he's stepping into the box, you're facing a team who's got momentum because they just, you know, spr- <clears throat> sprint into the end of the season, won a wild card series. Um, and, and now that's the first time they're taking a competitive at bat again. Now, obviously, on the flip side of that is those teams that win the wild card. We were just talking about it. You're probably throwing two or three of your best pitchers in that series. 
So now you're probably starting your game three or game four starter in game one of a DS against, you know, whoever has that buy. In this case, let's say the Dodger, whoever the Dodgers are rolling out there, probably Clayton Kershaw game one. So it's going to be interesting. And I, I that's why I like this format. You know, people have complained that, you know, it's too many teams are getting in. We're just letting everybody in at this point. It's like, yeah, but the competitive advantages, like the best team's still going to win. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Why Why would we ever complain about more playoff baseball teams? Especially in Major League Baseball. Like the way that I think the way they formatted it is so smart because you're not giving anyone an advantage. It's better than the one game wild card. You know, now it's best two or three. But again, you're going to have to burn your one and two probably to get through that to then have to go on the road. And now the advantage of having the buy is okay, well, it's now my game one starter against potentially your three or four. I like my chances. Yeah. Um, first off, I'm shocked that baseball fans are complaining about anything. Um, that's kind of synonymous with uh, with baseball at this point. It's just like they just complain for the sake of complaining. Like, oh, baseball is uh, meant to be played the way it was meant to be. But, you know, basketball and football, I've never adapted with the times. But I don't need to get on that soapbox today. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll be interesting. I agree. I think like you said, play, more playoff baseball means more meaningful games. I think if anything, they should keep the playoff more expanded more and shorten the regular season. Why do we need 162 games to to figure this whole thing out? I know a lot of teams are kind of close at this point, and sure, maybe those last couple weeks do make a difference, but 162 games is just a lot. I mean, it's it is it is a lot, and like you talk about lulls and just in general it, it's i couldn't imagine having to to get up for 162 games in a year on a daily basis and not expect to have like slumps and like i mean I, I would have to take a mental break for like a month just to kick my feet up and relax like the idea of wrapping my head around 162 game season in like 180 days like it's legit like 180 days to play 162 games just blows my mind the fact that that's even a thing well and you and you factor in too that a lot of those 18 days at your office is filled with travel or you're playing yeah. a game and then traveling um and you get a day off in a, in a city somewhere but like so you know you know how taxing traveling can be so exactly and that's why it's it's so hard that you have this law and then it comes down to like okay here we go sprint yeah. to the finish now right you got a week left now you just got to turn it on and it's it's so important to have your ducks in a row when you're going into this thing, right? And you, you kind of look around the league and even just looking, you know, it's kind of like the, the Blue Jays have kind of started to get a little bit hotter here of late. And, you know, but if you're a Blue Jays fan, you're like, man, if we could just get Guerrero going, right? Like if, if Vlad can really hit stride and look, you know, more like the guy that he was last year, you know, if he can become that MVP candidate that we know he is and what that would do for that Blue Jays team going into the playoffs and no one wants to face it. If you got Vlad going the way he was going last year and he's he's hot going in, who wants to face them with the, you know, you got Gaussman on the mound and you got guys like that that can that can beat you in a short series and now you got to pitch to Vlad and as you always say, three-run homers win a playoff series. Mm-hmm. Right? They win playoff games, they win series. And so that's kind of the, the thing that gets to this point is like, You've, you have this 100 and at this point 53 games worth of evidence of what this guy's year's been going. But at any point, if one of them gets hot like they do in these stretches where there's so much up and down throughout the course of the season, 
you, you have guys who can carry a team through series. And that's, to me, what makes it so much fun yeah. when you get to this point in the year. Right? Is who's going to get hot? Who's the name? Who's going to do it? Yeah, and that, that's why, you know, just to kind of go back to your, your point about Vladdy, is that's why I will always hinge my bets on talent. You know, I know I, the the Dodgers have only won one World Series, and, you know, when the Nationals were at their peak, it was, oh, they're choke artists and all those things like that. But, you know, when it comes to winning in the playoffs, like those Royals teams that went back-to-back, and I know we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about the Royals, but there's Royals teams that went back to back. That was kind of just a weird time in baseball in general where like the talent across the game was just down bad. I mean, it was like the transition period, the Trouts, the Harpers, the Machados were kind of taken over at like 22, 23. And I would say like in terms of talent in compared to the top teams today, like you look at the Mets team that made that world series to the Mets team today. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Like that was their lineup that made a world like Lucas Duda taking meaningful at bats in the four hole. And it's like the quality of baseball at the top has just gotten so much better. And it's just but my point being is that you just hinge your bets on talent. Like that's why this Cleveland Indians team, while they're cute and fun, they don't scare me. Right, because who right. in that lineup is imposing? Who in that lineup is going to take over a series and and going to kind of hit that three? Yeah, it's one guy. And, yeah, it's, it's Ramirez, and and outside yeah, of that, exactly, it's not. But at the same time, I feel like there's evidence of a lot of teams where you can say like the best team in the playoffs didn't win. No, no, right? I like if you look the, around, yeah. like even last year, like. I think the Dodgers and Astros were probably a better team than the Braves. But yes. the, not that the Braves weren't loaded, and the Braves are still loaded and one of the best teams, but you wouldn't have necessarily and, – and I agree with what you're saying, though, is you still have to hinge your bets on the most talented team. Yeah. Especially when you talk about depth, because depth is so important in Major League Baseball. But what happened with the Braves last year? So they took yeah. flyers on those guys after Acuna goes down, and they were you know kind of floundering at the break, and they were kind of playing 500 baseball, and they take – you know, they hinge their bets on this, you know, they take flyers on Peterson and Solaire and Rosario and they get hot and each one of them plays a hero in a different round of the playoffs, right? Yep. Jock in the DS and Rosario in the CS and then Solaire in the World Series. And it's like, well, man, they weren't the most talented team. The Dodgers and the CS were the better team. And I think the Astros in the World Series are probably the better better team. But because of how weird baseball can be, Mm-hmm. Those guys got hot for a series, and it doesn't necessarily always need to be the three four hitter. But yeah. man, if it is the best player on either team that gets hot, then it's different, right? If Aaron Judge continues this pace throughout the playoffs, it's like hard to figure out like who can limit. Like, yeah, sure, the Astros could do it, but if if Judge is going to come up with runners on and he's going to have to get pitched to, and he's swinging the bat the way he has pretty much all year, how do you bet against the Yankees? Same thing with the Braves, right? There's so many guys in the Braves lineup that you can pick or the Dodgers lineup. So that's what makes it interesting. It's so hard to know, you know, when we get to this point, who's it, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be yep. this year? It's crazy. I mean, it, it, and baseball is really a crapshoot, you know, and, and definitely, you know, that's why I always have trouble betting on the fact of like, oh, like there's a way to win in the playoffs. Like, you know, like, a lot of people that are all over the Indians right now are talking about like, oh, the Indians scare me because they don't strike out and not striking out wins in the playoffs. And it's like, 
Yeah, but does it? You know, just because one team at some point, yes, putting balls in play well, and putting competitive at bats. Yeah, well, and it's just putting competitive at bats together, right? And timely at bats and understanding, you know, how to hit with runners in scoring positions and how to sacrifice yourself, right? And it's like that's the biggest thing is because the the Nationals that that year that they won, they didn't have a ton of guys that struck out, but they also didn't have like wet noodle hitters. They had guys like Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto that hit for power while not striking out, right? So like that's kind of the key is that people, you kind of need that combination of both, but it's also as simple as like, you know, for the majority of guys in the MLB, it's like, hey, let's put together quality at bat in this situation, in this mindset and having team team at bats at that level, which is something that, that I think some guys struggle with is like, you know, because they're taught to like, do things a certain way because that brings them value. But that's, that's the biggest difference is like, okay, well, sorry that the Cleveland Indians have, you know, Jose Ramirez and co that don't strike out and they have the, the lowest strikeout rate in the MLB, but you know, Max Scherzer will still get his, you know, right, like well, Cole's that, still going to strike out 80. Yeah. Like, and, does, I, I think, so. and again, what makes the postseason such a crap shoot in baseball, um, unlike so many other sports is that, you know, it, everything is from a standpoint we, with all the information we have nowadays and how teams are built and how teams are built to get to the postseason, right? It is a lot of it is analytically driven, but when you get to the postseason, you can almost throw some of that out, which is why I don't understand why there's so many complaints still, right? Like in 2019, the nationals won the world series. Do you know which team struck out more in that world series? No, the Nationals struck out more than the Astros did. Yeah, well, who won the World Series, right? So yeah. yeah, so the Astros were executing how they were built analytically and 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 you know punching guys out and throwing fastballs towards the top of the zone. But it's also like great. I mean, when Juan Soto hits one of them and it swings the entire game, what's it matter, right? And 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 to that point, like yeah, like you were saying, like people think like, well, when you get to the postseason, you have to put the ball in play. Well, again, that. The Astros put the ball in play more than the Nationals did in that series. Yeah. And so it gets to a point. It's like just it's more about who can kind of and, and almost in the postseason becomes like a mini regular season with how long it is too, right? Who yeah. can stay level and not too high and too low with each game in a series? Who can just go out there and continue? To, you said put good at bats together. That's the more yeah. important thing. Strike out. So what? Right. Oh yeah. And and a strikeout with nobody on, nobody out is a lot different than a strikeout with a runner on second, nobody out, right? You get a leadoff double from Alex Bregman, and, and you have a team at bat and and put a ball, whether it be in the air or on the ground, to the to the right side of the field and get him to third base, and and then you're basically putting him in. You know, it should it right. should be a run scored at that level. It's just. You know, that's kind of the tough part about it is like just the timeliness of everything. And that's where timeliness. it gets confused is, is a lot of people like me, like, you know, and, and I get you have to, you have to be very well thought and, and, and think yourself through. But when I played and when I coached, if a guy with nobody on, nobody out, like I didn't, to be honest with you, I'd rather have our guys not have a two strike approach, right? right? Because there's no difference between a ground out with nobody on, nobody out or a strikeout. In my opinion, you might as well get your licks off. I don't want you changing your swing to put a ball in play, you know, soft when you could take a good hack at a pitcher that you think you can take advantage of, you know, and then if vice versa with two strikes or with a runner on second, nobody out, runner on third, nobody out situations like that. It's almost like you should almost start 
smart in your two-strike approach, right? When you're trying to build a team offense, when you're trying to build these things and stack good at bats, that's what we used to say. I always used to, you know, talk about our hitters, like when we were struggling, like let's stack quality at bats. That's it. Like, and who cares what even defines quality? Like, I don't care. Let's keep putting balls in play hard, right? Let's keep seeing pitches. Let's keep, you know, fighting off tough pitches. Let's keep, you know, doing, doing what we need to do. But it's just the one thing about the long ball that plays in, in the postseason that, that people don't understand is, is there's no Kyle Gibson's throwing meaningful innings in the postseason. Right. You know, there's no, we can only hope, you know, Five, yeah. Number five <laughs> starters where, where everybody is – where you can go double, single, single, double, single, and get a four-run inning, right? right? But those guys the, are so important during the regular season. Oh, so important because they get you to the playoffs, and those innings right. are so important because they, they obviously put runs on the board and everything of that nature. But name me a pitcher in the MLB who can't get clipped for a home run. Right. By anybody. Right. That's the difference. Garrett Cole doesn't give up four or five hits in an inning. Garrett Cole gives up a two-strike home run every start, it feels like. Max Scherzer doesn't give up three, four, or five hits in an inning. Max Scherzer gives up a home run. Jacob DeGrom, we could go on and on and on, and obviously that's what makes guys like Class A and Clay Holmes and these sinker ball relievers that have been so good this year and so good over the past couple of years is guess what they do? They keep the ball in the ballpark. Corbin Burns is, didn't give up a home run two year last year. He gave up a lot more this year. But that's what made him so special was it's like, okay, yes, you're punching out everybody, but you all, when you can combine that with not giving up home runs – a weird stat that I just thought of because I was thinking about these guys. Devin Williams have has given up one barrel this whole year. That's insane. One barrel this well, whole and that's year. What, and again, that's what makes guys like him so – and so again, I yeah. think that when you talk about building and, and why I, I really enjoy it because my opinion is, is when you talk about building a World Series team, right, once the playoffs start, Bullpen does become the most important thing, right? Because how many times have you seen in a playoff series where a starter will go out there and you're, you know, a team is dead in the water because they haven't sniffed a starter all night. And then as soon as the bullpen door swings open, the game yep. flips on its head, right? So bullpen depth is just so important. But you can't just build your team that way to get to the postseason Mm-mm. because that's not how the regular season works. Because to your point, you're running your five, your fifth starter out there every day. And if you've put all your resources into your bullpen in the regular season and you don't have uh, a quality fifth starter who can go out there and keep you in games every once in a while and you're, you have no shot every time your five walks out to the mound, then what good is it to have a loaded bullpen? So that's what makes it interesting, right? Is you have to be able to construct a team to get to the playoffs. And then yeah. once you're there, there's a certain way that's a little bit different to win it because you are shortening things. Right, mm-hmm. shortening things. How many times have we seen starters come out of the pen and be electric like Bumgarner going back to 01, Randy Johnson and Schilling where they were almost piggybacking off each other and they yeah. won a World Series, right? And that's, again, though, to continue to go back to your point is why you have to bet on talent, right? Because not only are you betting on the talent, but you're betting on the depth, right? I'm going to bet yeah. on the depth that the Dodgers have because yeah. I will trust that when they shorten things, like they don't have to shorten things as much as some of these other teams, so that they do have the relievers that'll be equipped to get the big outs, and you know, you, and that's why teams last year again. That's why you, I would tell you that the the Braves weren't as good as the the Astros and the and the, and the Dodgers. And Braves fans were 
begging them to trade Will Smith this year. And he was a guy who didn't yeah. give up a run all postseason last year. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just all about timeliness. Like it's it's all just a complete crapshoot. You know, that's what always used to bother me about just anything, you know, in, in DC, it was always, you know, like obviously the ownership and Rizzo went through so many managers in that stretch. And, you know, I've always been pro manager. I'm always pro manager because whether, you know, when I make the food, so. yeah, but that, that's not, that's pro human being, like being a decent <laughs> person. That's not pro being a good, good manager. I will always defend the manager you know, as long as it's well thought out. Right. So like if I call down in the bullpen and I go like, you know, bullpen door swings open and I got Blake trying and trotting out and he gives up three runs, like people are coming from my head and I get it. I'm the leader of this, this organization. I'm the, I'm what represents it. I'm what has to face the media and all those things like that. But like, the matchup could have made sense. The analytics could have made sense. The, the right on right could have made sense, but I could still give up a three run home run. Well, you know what I'm saying? And that's what that's what's always bothered me is it's always been a crapshoot. And it was like the Nationals recycled managers like year after year after year. And, and I'm what are you going to do? You gonna, in, in that thing, like, what are you going to fire Craig Council for bringing in Josh Hader in 19 in that wild card round? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, he brought him in too early. And then you it's, fire Buck Showalter for leaving Zach Britton standing on the pe- right. on the bullpen mound right. in, in Toronto like, as, as – um, Eddie Encarnacion paired <laughs> on the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, I, and it, but that's how it goes in the postseason, right? And that's why things like that. And then, of course, because it's, you know, national audience, and that's the other thing about, about baseball is, you know, all these games are nationally televised, so all of them get put under a microscope. And, all I mean, going back to Kevin Cash, right, leaves Snell in, takes Snell out in and, and Game 7 against the Dodgers in 2020, and it's like, well, most people hadn't watched a Tampa Bay Rays game. Also, no. the majority of the the people watching that World Series probably hadn't watched a Rays game all summer and known how Kevin Cash operates. So then he's just getting absolutely roasted. Do I agree with that decision? No, because I think he probably should have let Snell run it out there. It's Game Seven. He's your best arm. Let him go. But is he their best? That's arm? not to. He was at that point. Yeah, for sure. He had carried them there. He was Tyler their best Glass arm. Snell was pretty good. Glassnell was good, but he was not doing what <laughs> Snell was doing in that postseason. Snell had neutralized the Dodgers. But he Snell was bad all year. But he had neutralized the Dodgers, and that's my point. In Game 7, okay, Glassnell you're saying not that, available. If, if the option is Snell, right. Yeah, if my yeah, option yeah. is Glassnell or Snell, sure, give me Glassnell. But if my option is not better than what Snell is giving me right there, then I would have let him roll. But my point, yeah, my but, point was is yeah, you when, finished, you I'm to, sorry. Sorry, when you get to Major League – you know, when you get to the playoffs in Major League Baseball – most you know everything's under the microscope because it's a national audience now and they don't know half these guys sometimes and they don't know how you've been running your team because a lot of times these guys have been deployed in different ways it's not like the nfl where every sunday every game is national right like everybody sees every team play all year long and you you know something about all these teams a lot of times in, in baseball you're not you haven't watched 30 most the, the average fan hasn't watched even 10 Cardinals games if they're not in the St. Louis market. No. So, you know, are we going to criticize Ali Marmel for for how he's utilizing his bullpen in this CS potentially? Yes. But I think that's also right and that's a. what it Smith comes down to. Him. Correct. Correct. Zero well, baseball games. ESPN would never dare talk about major league baseball except to criticize. Right. 
No, and 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 you know, back to that 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 Snell piece and and everything like that. It's like I don't know. I'm a, I'm a creature of the process, right? I'm a creature of habit. I'm, I'm a creature of you know all the types of things that that you kind of believe is going to make you successful. And Blake Snell after the fifth inning is was bad all year. I mean, we're talking about pitching to a five ERA and, but you and, got one game left and that's my, I know, my point. But becomes, d- d- my here, point but becomes at that is, point is what gets you to the postseason and what wins in the postseason is a yeah, little bit different. Well, and when you have one game, agree. there's no tomorrow. I, I agree, but you're a, a Blake Snell. Blake Snell's four pitches away from the three run home run. Every time he steps on hundred percent, but cause it's, but, it's, it's bloop hit batter home run and Blake Snell's now, now you're walking out on the field with five innings and three earned. But when you're with looking Blake at a lot Snell, of the rest the of Blake that Snell race experience, and, but a lot of the rest of that race staff, when you're talking about facing a lineup like that, like who isn't four batters away from a three run home run against that Dodgers lineup? He, who yes, isn't? But that bullpen was is what a, Kevin Cash was correct, leaning on. And was leaning that, on. that is 100% the way the Rays should operate. I don't remember who came in shortly after, but I remember he was very good. You know, I, I want to say it was Pete Fairbanks, but I'm not 100% sure. It was one of the guys that th- throws 100 for them and was actually the guy who they brought in. I, I don't think it was Fairbanks, but was having a historic year too. Was pitching to like a, you know, point. It was like a dot six ERA with a right. ton of strikeouts, if I remember. It was Nick I Anderson. Just, um, it was Nick Anderson. He was having in a the really, playoffs, and uh-huh. and it was game six. Just to correct myself, but still, like you, you lose and, and your season's over is the point I'm making. But to me, again, I agree with the sense that that is how you get. Like the process has to just change a little bit. Right? Yeah, I just think if you ask. The Rays front office. If you ask Kevin Cash, if you had your World Series Game Six on the line, are you trusting the bullpen that you've built? And I, I guarantee everybody in that organization saying, "Hand Let's the say ball yes, to the bullpen." Of course, they should, and they you should know? say that. I agree, but to me, it's like it's the same thing as, as a little bit different. But Austin Meadows wouldn't have been hitting third in that situation, then, right? Yeah, Meadows had been struggling, but he, had, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that. <clears throat> It, when you get to that point, and and that's what makes it fun, is when you get to playoffs, there is the two point of views. Because I'm with you. I'm I agree. Processes and what got you there is kind of what you should stick with. And I've defended Kevin Cash because I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying I probably would have done it differently because to me it's like, well, in this scenario, I'm kind of I start to reorder my pitching staff in a playoff and a winner go home. It's Less about what we've done all year, and okay, after the fifth, he's bad. It's like, okay, Tyler Glasnow is my best pitcher. We agree, right? He's not available. Who's my next best pitcher? Well, the guy I'm going out there tonight is my next best pitcher probably. Especially with what he had done earlier in the series, and he had been neutralizing the Dodgers, right? He had already thrown – did he throw game one or two? Mm -mm, Glasnow threw game one. Right, he threw threw game two. And he he had won and neutralized them. And it's like, okay, well, he's doing it again. So why not at least let him roll back? Because we're not talking about rolling back out in the eighth or the ninth. You know, Terry Collins with Matt Harvey and what was that, the eighth inning? He wanted to go back out? No, it's the ninth against ninth. the Royals. And we're talking about the sixth here with, with – for me, it's like, okay, we're talking about the sixth with Snell. I mean, and, and I don't know if there's a wrong answer to this question. Yeah, and I, I think my biggest complaint would be I w- 
it's not all about like not all five innings are the same, you know. No, and, and he no. was at seventy four pitches or whatever it is. So what's Blake Snell's stats after seventy four pitches? Like, right. If we're gonna talk about data and analytics, like you better give me concrete information. Correct. Like, and this is not stuff that we are accessible to. I guarantee they have it at that level, but. It's not what was Blake Snell after five innings. We can find that. It was what was Blake Snell after 75 pitches? What right. was Blake Snell stuff-wise? What was Blake Snell well, facing a everything. lineup for the third time? Yeah, like it's just like wh- those little details of are the difference between that decision. And again, you know, I think the one thing that nobody else will ever realize is who is Blake Snell from the outside looking in? Is Blake Snell the Max Scherzer type that you're like, here's the ball, don't give it back? You know, you're gonna have right. to go out there and no, you know fight not. tooth and nail, and probably and and again, but they that that's a shot at Blake Snell that we don't know the answer to, but he doesn't the trade and how he handled this whole situation and how he sucked after the trade and. He sucked at the beginning of this year, but he's been really good. The inconsistencies of Blake Snell, I feel like, has a lot to do with potentially that move right there, right? Like, that's Blake Snell in a vacuum. This season of Blake Snell would, could have been that Blake Snell outing of, like, Kevin Cash being like, Blake's been great, but Blake can just implode at any implode, given second. For sure. And it's like you look back at that decision, you look back at all playoff decisions again. Like I always say, I'm I'm pro manager. You know, Nick Anderson needs to go out there and just get freaking outs. Like that's it. Like Kevin nobody's complaining at Kevin Cash if Nick Anderson does his job. No, and, and then, then he passes it to Peter Fairbanks, right. who does his job. And then you pass it to whoever was closing games for them at that point and they do their job. And it doesn't matter, right? Analytics, feel, gut whatever you want to call it, if the person you put up there does their job, it, it doesn't matter. So it's always a player's game. Baseball, will always, it's not an offensive coordinator being able to disguise things and put guys in a position to be successful. This is 100% on the player, which is why baseball coaching is so much more about psychology and the ability to build that relationship and, and put guys in a position to be successful up top. Physically, you can never do anything for a guy. You can never, you know, you can help them up top in the head mentally to kind of have a better approach or, or kind of approach things better you know, positive affirmation wise, but you can never physically do anything different for a guy that's going to make a difference. And it's just, that's what makes coaching. That's why I've always been pro manager in the playoffs. I've always been pro manager in the regular season. I always say my criteria for a decent manager is do you keep the clubhouse good? And are you a good human being? Like that's genuinely it. Like are the vibes in the clubhouse good? And are you a good human being that guys can come talk to? Like you're a good manager. You just need the talent in front of you. Well, and you look at most of the managers, and this will be the last point I make on this, especially you know this time of year, and you look at the guys who have had success getting there and winning, and you look at the guys like Bruce Bochy. It's like no one talks about Bruce Bochy knowing the, like X's and O's and and being some strategist. <clears throat> Bruce Bochy was just calm, demeanored, yep. knew how to get his guys to show up. You know, made sure his guys got what they needed, made sure his guys were happy you know, connected with all of his players. And that's what won. And you're starting to see it in other sports as well. 
I mean, yes. you know, there's definitely some more strategy in some other sports. We can talk about football and stuff like that, but a lot of that is still connect, being able to connect with your players because there's so much information available in player development across all sports now. To be a good head coach or manager, it, it, it's about connecting and being able to make sure that your guys have what they need and want to show up every day to go to work. Yeah. Right. And understanding what they need from, you know, everyone made fun of the Eagles for talking about way back when they hired Doug Peterson, who obviously has since moved on, but they talked about his emotional intelligence was really why they liked him. And like that is huge now. Like they were huge. right. Right. And like Steve Kerr knows a lot about basketball, but Steve Kerr also knows how to relate and connect with his players. Yeah. And you know, those guys love playing for Steve Kerr. He's wildly successful doing it. And, you know, I, I, I think I, in the off season or, or sooner when things slow down in terms of volume, I would love to do a podcast on just that side of, of coaching, you know, because Dave Roberts went on R2C2 and I know obviously we talked about Jordan Montgomery on R2C2 and, and I sent Dave Roberts to you while you were at the wedding, but so I'm sure you didn't get to listen to it, but just hearing that guy talk, AJ Hinch has his master's degree in psychology, right? You think there's a correlation between him right. being a good manager in that background and Dave Roberts talking about the human element of his job was all he talked about. Dave Roberts did not go on that podcast and talk about swing. He didn't talk about approach. Well, right. He, talk, he talked about wh- what's the first question he asked Joey Gallo when he when he made it to LA. He said, I wanted to learn about Joey and his family and growing up with Harp and growing up in Vegas. Yeah, that's why that guy is good, right? Right. That's why Dave Roberts is good as what he does, and it, it's the same thing at in all sports. Like you said, like Steve Kerr, like Steve Kerr's ability to relate and, and be human, you know, and and that's what is so, you know, everybody thinks like the rah rah get in your face coaching is like good, and like especially at the professional. I mean, it's not good at the the youth level it's not good at the high school level it's definitely not good at the college level you know which is probably where you see it the most but at the there's a very fine level, line right it never works at the professional level because you're getting paid at, and at professional level is the only level where you're getting paid more than the coach so and they can say you see my contract man i'm good yeah. and, and, and they're adults and, I'm an and adult. the only like don't and talk it's, to me like that <laughs> it's funny because it's a such a fine line like you said you see it the most at the college level in the sport of football and the guys who are successful with the in your face stuff it's a fine line yes because there's some guys who are doing it and those kids are just there because and they're going to tolerate it it's in one ear out the other they're just tolerating it because they know they're going to be in the nfl in a few years but the guys who can do it and actually get through you don't know half the story Right. You don't yes. know that relationship. They're not doing exactly. that if they don't have the relationship and don't know how to like first 100%. and foremost, in order to be able to get in, you know, Kirby smart was uh, lad McConkey muffed a punt this weekend. And Kirby smart was just laying into him for about five minutes. And the only reason Kirby smart is able to do that is because he, lad knows that Kirby cares about him first and foremost. And after the game, you Kirby answers a question about it saying, I support, I love him. I support him. And, and, He's going to be fine. Yeah, and that's that's the most important. But that thing. is a fine line. <laughs> fine line. 
fine line and and you see the the videos of of Tommy Reese chewing out Drew Pine and and he kind of made the example when they asked about him well he said I know how to coach I know what's going to motivate everybody and it's you know and you always have to understand that it's like as an outsider you will never know what that person needs I used to talk about it you know at at Dickies all the time one of my best friends um worked for us and you know you could probably say I'm a I'm a bad manager for this but he had a tendency to show up late which i didn't care about cuz when he posted when he clocked in he posted, posted right yeah. he he posted and and at the end of the day you fight your battles but i always knew i would get a little extra gear out of him if i made a smart comment like hey can right. you show up on time one time and i never yelled at him i never yelled at anybody when i was in that in that position i never yelled at anybody when i was coaching either but if i knew i wanted to get the best out of him and we needed an extra gear on a friday night when we're a little behind I was making a comment about him rolling in at 4:15 with McDonald's or Duncan and being like, "Yo, like can you figure it out one time and show up on time?" Because the next thing I know, I'm seeing that that ticket get punched and and work's getting done. But you also have to know that like, you know, like my significant other if I said that to her. I'm, oh man. I'm you getting nothing done. Yeah, I'm getting nothing done. And it's just understanding people and what's gonna help that person click. I never understood it until I met her and being like because I was always motivated by yelling. I know you probably were the same way. It's like my dad would get on me and I'd be like, all right, let's go. Now it's time to now we're here to play. You know, well, and, and our high school coach also helped. Yeah, that a lot. exactly. And it's like, okay, now I'm ready to play. Like, wake up. But like she blew my mind when she was like, you know, not everybody responds to that. Like if you yelled at me, I'd be like, Okay, I'm gonna prove you right. And I'm like, what that happens and it really puts in perspective the psychology of trying to motivate other individuals yeah it's good stuff um i want a podcast in the off season about the like inside baseball at dickie's barbecue yeah we can we can pull that off i again i'm gonna have your dad on for that episode I invested in that emotionally and mentally. I know you did. I remember. We bought in. All right. Well, everybody enjoy the last week. Soak it up here. A lot of postseason races to watch. We'll be back later this week to uh, get you ready for the playoffs. Man, think about that. This time next week when we sit here and do this, we'll be talking about probably the, you know, most um, the playoff picture will mostly be wrapped up and we'll be talking about – what to look out for in the in the wild card series. Maybe we'll have a guest on for that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well see you next time.